listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. It's the Fret Files Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name's Eric Daw, as always. I'm your uh, your personal guitar scientist. I hate that line. I need to rewrite this intro. It's terrible. With 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, what's, uh, what's new in our world? I tell you what, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. We're just plugging along. Mm-hmm. I'm making guitars like crazy. Yep. I shipped out three custom guitars over the last three days. Wow. Yeah. Snap. I am filling orders. I'm taking names. I was just gonna say. Taking people's money and then providing them with a guitar or repair service. Quality <laughs> repair. It's just what I do. Actually, I stopped taking repairs last month. What? What? I did. Well, I was so behind that I just, I decided I don't even have a place to put these repairs. So, uh, I just started a waiting list, which I've never done before. It felt weird to tell people, no, don't. Don't send your guitar. Don't bring me your guitar. Uh, I'm going to take your name and number, and I will call you when I get more caught up. And I tell you what, it's actually been kind of nice. I'm almost caught up with all the stuff I have in the shop, and it feels feels like a weight has been lifted. But then I look at the list of 20 names that I need to call, and then I realize, oh, right. You could just lose that list it would that's not a good business move (laughs) i don't think that uh tony robbins would recommend that if if i were he's not here well i don't know why what he has to do with it anyway yeah so uh what's what's new with you uh i just started taking orders again and i had a wait list and then i emailed everybody and you threw it away no i did not (laughs) forget this And so uh, I started taking custom orders again. I'm I'm already booked out till mid-November. So oh. I wanted to reach out to our listeners first and say, if you want to get a Christmas order in, email me now because mm. I'm probably going to be full up in the next three weeks until the new year. Wow. So if you uh, want to get a Christmas present in, email me at melcoleather at gmail.com. Excellent. Yeah. What are you working on lately? 
mountain of things. I mean, specifically, what's been on your bench? Uh, specifically, I've had four guitar straps on my bench. One of them is a custom strap for a band that I've worked for before mm-hmm. called Foreseeing Fools, and they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always have really interesting designs that they send me, so I always like to work on their stuff. And uh, I have three more straps that I am I have designed, and th- those are going to go to Emerald City. And Emerald City Guitars in Emerald Seattle. Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City ordered twelve straps, and so far I've made half of three of them. Oh, so we're plugging along. We're getting through it. We're gonna we're gonna do this. It's, yeah, it's all good. Absolutely. <laughs> What's on my bench? You ask. Oh well, yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, since you're also curious. I am curious. Uh, so the custom guitars, I've, that's been taking a lot of time, right? So yep. I've been working on that. Yep. And I've been doing a lot of refrets lately. For some reason, things come in batches, you know? Isn't that weird? Yeah. What is that about? I don't know, but that's that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, a modern USA Fender Telecaster, just refretted one of those. Just refretted a Japanese 80s Strat. And then did a partial refret on a vintage Martin, along with a neck reset on that. Also just finished a neck reset on a Leo Kotke model Taylor guitar. That was kind of fun. Man, Taylor neck resets are sure a breeze. Are they bolt-on? I do. Yeah, I do so many Martins and Harmonies and Gibsons that I forget that Taylors are just... Man, you, you loosen a few bolts and that's, that's it. You know, wow. your neck's off and then you... You uh, you know, it's done with shims. There's special shims in there that mm-hmm. that that compensate for the angle of the neck, right? Yeah. It's pretty easy. I mean, compared to a Martin, right, or something and like compared that. Compared to taking out frets and steaming off necks, right? Compared to hide glue dovetail joints, it's very easy. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get into the show here? I think I we've got so. a lot to do. Uh, I don't remember looking. At what's going on <laughs> with our phone calls. I think okay. we I think we have phone calls. Yeah, okay, we do have some calls here. It's a good thing because I played the phone the phone sound. Oh yeah. The sound of the phone. Hey Eric and Melissa, this is Micah calling from Omaha, Nebraska again. Uh just listen to Mike from Chicago, I think that was his name. Talking about uh his little coil tap high pass filter he's doing, which I guess is the name for it. He was using a .022 capacitor. Um, I what I ended up doing is trying a whole bunch of values of capacitors from .001 up to a .022, and I've done this on two guitars. One of them was a humbucker, and we ended up deciding on .0047, and that seemed to be cutting enough bass without really thinning it out too much. And then I also put one in a like a broadcaster-style three-way switch on a tele on the neck pickup. So in third position, rather than having a big, fat, wonky sound, I, we kind of did the opposite, where... Instead of making it the neck pickup warmer, it makes it brighter. And in that scenario, we found that 0.01, um, so not 0.022, but 0.01, just directly in line 
cuts that that low end and it's a pretty nice little trick i mean i think the value is kind of up to the user you know i i was just alligator clipping and trying a b testing them so oh, that one sounds good and yeah it works but it does cut you know it's cutting so it it does reduce the output a little bit right but it works thanks thanks fascinating you know i feel like this podcast we we this is this is what we do with this podcast <clears throat> we run the world's most complicated messaging system <laughs> for guitar nerds all around the world to leave messages for each other and they'll hear them like a month later <laughs> it's it's almost like a message in a bottle or you tying a tying a capacitor to a pigeon's foot and hoping it gets to the right place, to the right guitar nerd. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, thanks for the update. Seriously, thanks for the update, because I was curious if you were going to do that and how it would work, and uh, yeah, it's cool. Capacitors are, look, they still fascinate me. When I see a capacitor, there's still a magic there. That when I was a kid, I would open up radios and... Inside it, there's like these little, they look like green chiclets, you know, the gum? Yeah. The chiclet gum. And I, th I thought, what in the world do these do? What do they do? Yeah. I mean, this little thing inside this electronic component does something. It's amazing. What yeah. is? What does it do? And it took me years to figure that out because this was, you know, even before the internet, I, you couldn't just Google it. <clears throat> and uh, to this day, I just have this magic fascination with capacitors. They are just magic to me, even though I fully understand what they do. Um, they just still have that magic. So I actually really enjoy hearing about stuff like this. Melissa's eyes are completely glazed. <laughs> so... We're going to go to the uh, the uh, next question. Hey, this is Micah again. Again? Sorry for two calls and one episode. Micah, you know the rules. I have an idea about the south-north magnet um, on a pickup. Uh, the string itself isn't polarized. It's just metal. Right. And so it would not have any different interaction with north or south. Just a thought on that matter. Thanks, guys. <laughs> These are deep thoughts by <laughs> Micah in Omaha. Uh, well, I tell you, th that's another thing that fascinates me is magnets. I mean, wrap your mind around that. Magnets are, they are magic. Dude. They seem magic to me. Dude. I'm sure there's some physics equation that explains it, but it's magic to me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, pickups are polarized, north or south. <clears throat> if it's a humbucker, it has one of each. How about that? For some arcane pickup knowledge. I know you all care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hey, this is Scott in Florida. Um, I was able to get that truss rod nut off all by right. using a, uh, hammering a smaller size socket onto it. Works great. Thanks a lot. There you go. Uh, quick question. Getting ready to spray some of that uh, Stumac um, nitro uh, in the can there, the problem is I'm down in Florida, the humidity is like, you know, 90% right now, all day, every day. Yeah. Um, I got some blush remover. 
any That'll tips help. or tricks on how to do that um, without it turning turning out terrible. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot. You betcha. Yeah, I hope you're not painting outside. A lot of guys do that um, because it's it's hard to paint inside unless you really have, you know. Good ventilation. Uh, yeah, good, like, and by good ventilation, I mean, like, a real fan pushing air out, you know. Right. Maybe even with a filter in front of it or, you know, if you're going to do that, it's best to use a fan that will not ignite the f- fumes and blow you into the next universe. <clears throat> so huh. an explosion-proof fan. Anyway, my point is, this is why a lot of people paint outside. Right. If you're painting outside then the humidity is just what it is. You're going to have a hard time dealing with it. So light coats is better if you've got high humidity. Very light coats. You need to wait longer between coats? Uh, Probably the same amount of time, but lighter coats, are it, it's much better <clears throat> in high humidity. The blush remover will help if you run into a problem where it's not if you get if you get some milkiness, you know, in your finish, mm-hmm. uh, that can help. Um, if you're going to be painting inside, if you have a exhaust fan, a proper exhaust fan, or a garage with an exhaust fan, or a paint booth, um, you can run a dehumidifier in it. And that's what I used to do when I painted in Seattle. In my old shop, I had an explosion-proof fan with a filter in front of it, pushing the air out. I'd paint in front of that, and then uh, on the ground, I was running a dehumidifier, and it really does suck water out of the air. Yeah. And I had a high, I can never say this word, hygrometer? A humidity meter. Humidity measurer. A humidity meter. There you go. On the wall, and yeah, you could turn that thing on, you run it, and you can watch over the next day. The humidity goes way down. You can just put it wherever you want it. Yeah. And then you paint, and you run that fan, and then, you know, that's going to suck more humidity into the room, but while you're painting, the humidity is controlled. So that's one way to do it. That That's how I used to do it in Seattle, because I had the same problem there, very high humidity. I don't have that problem here in Idaho. It's super dry here. In fact, my main problem here is is uh, the humidity is too low. So, yeah, there you go. Do we have any more calls? We do. Here you go. Let's do this call. Hey, cool cats and kittens. Uh, it's Alex from Napa, California. I'm just calling you guys because I just happened upon a pretty rad old Epiphone. Um, I believe it's from 1935. Uh, it, it would have been made, I think it, it still has the Long Island City label on the inside, um, but I think it was probably one of the first ones that was made in the New York facility. Uh, it's an Epiphone Zenith, it's an arch top, it hasn't had strings on it in a long time, um, and it does not have a bridge at the moment, which I'm trying to source and figure out. But, my question for you guys, I checked the neck with straight edge, got a little bit of relief in it right now. Um, are there anything, is there anything, Eric, that you would do stringing it up for the first time um, in a long time and uh, any considerations that you would kind of take in before you string it up and uh, put a bridge on it and stuff like that? Um, I checked for loose braces and it seems like it's probably 
all kosher there. Uh, yeah, just wanted to get it done. Thanks so much. Yeah, you betcha. No, <clears throat> string it up. Do it up, man. I mean, yeah, check for cracks and loose braces just like you did and all of that, but um, uh, there's no danger in just stringing it up. It's not like an old amplifier where you, it's if it hasn't been turned on for years, it's best to turn it on slowly with a variac or something like that. Um, no, it's made out of wood and metal. You're gonna be you're gonna be fine. And if there's a problem, it will become evident under tension. A lot of times, there's problems that you see under tension that you just don't see when it's not under tension. So, um, yeah, absolutely, string it up, and that that'll tell you more about what this guitar needs or doesn't need. Did he say it was a 1935 yeah. Epiphone? Yes, he did. I had no idea Epiphone was that old. Oh yeah, sure. How old is it? Epiphone, the company? Yeah. It's actually, they're one of America's uh, oldest companies, I think. Let's look it up. Let's Google it here. Oldest companies or oldest guitar companies? Guitar companies. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. One of the most popular companies of... Okay, here we go. (laughs) Since 1873... 1873? Yeah. Epiphone is one of America's oldest and most revered instrument makers. Since 1873, Epiphone has made instruments for every style of popular music. And uh, there you go. Holy cow. I had no idea. Yeah. Epi I can never say his name. Strathopolo. Strathopolo? Epi Strathopolo. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. He started the company. It's called Epiphone, you know, for the guy. Epi. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Yeah, no, it's a, it's absolutely, it's, it's a, a very old company. And they got sold to Gibson in the 50s, I think. Yeah, it says right here, 1957. <clears throat> wow. Gibson bought the entire Epiphone company, including the remaining inventory of the uh, Philadelphia factory, for $20,000. Jeez. A pittance today. I mean, my goodness. We could buy that. Yeah. uh, So, well, (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, But, yeah, 1957. That's amazing. It was the war years. The war years changed everything for for a lot of instrument manufacturers. And the ones who made it bought out a lot of the ones who didn't. Right. So the landscape changed throughout the 40s and 50s. What were we talking about? Was there a question? Uh, What's going on? Epiphone. Do we string it up? I think we answered oh, it. Yeah, he's fine. Alrighty. That does it for the uh, the call-in section of the show. Mm-hmm. Everyone's favorite, the the call-in section. You want to take a break or you want to do some, uh, some emails? Uh, that's up to you, yeah. podcast host. Letters. We get letters. Micah called in about a dark pickup and asked slash suggested filter caps. Whenever someone complains to me about trebly or bassy pickups, I suggest lowering the offending end of the pickup. Easiest solution if the guitar allows, lower the bass side of the dark pickup. The other side can come up a bit to balance output if necessary. That's from Mike in Alaska. Another message in a bottle there for Micah. Yep. It's uh like I said, it's the it's the slowest 
message service for guitar nerds on the planet. But I like this. No, it's sure, you know, you lower the pickup. The, the only problem is that also has the effect of lowering the volume and the right. sustain. Mm-hmm. So I like the pickups as close as I can get them. But yeah, if it's too, if you've got a neck pickup that's too boomy and bassy, especially on the bass strings, you can lower that side. So good point. Good point, Mike from Alaska. Eric, I have a Gibson ES-335 that had a dodgy selector switch that would cut out on occasion. It finally stopped selecting the bridge pickup at all in the bridge or middle position. Just neck, nothing, nothing. I pulled, more like origami actually, the switch and saw the middle lug ground wire had broken at the lug. The rest of the wire was wound and soldered around the braided wire to the neck pickup. I tried scabbing a bit of wire onto the existing wire with no luck, so I snipped the ground wire close to the wraps on the braided wire and wrapped and soldered another wire onto it, then connected that to the middle lug on the switch. You following this? No. I'm already lost. I mean, I know about wiring. I just, it's hard for me to, I'm such a visual person. This this description is. Should I keep reading? I'm already lost. Let me figure this out. Hold on. Okay. Okay, his he's got a three thirty five. Uh-huh. The bridge position. Okay, his his switch. Uh, the middle lug ground wire had broken at the lug. So then, <clears throat> that but that wouldn't cause. I don't understand because that wouldn't cause the problem he's describing. Anyhow, go on. So maybe okay. maybe it'll become apparent later. Okay. Now, now that required removing the entire ship out of the bottle through the bridge pickup cavity and right. then putting it all back in. Yeah. Done. Pain, pain in the rear end. Yep. Still no bridge pickup, but the neck now sounds when I select the middle position. So before he would get neck on one position and then nothing on the other two. And now he gets neck on two positions, but not the bridge. So my thoughts initially are you've got to clean the contacts of the switch and you've got possibly you've got that ground wire is making contact with something and shorting it out. Those are the two things that are coming to my mind. He says, I would love to know how to trace the short and I pray I did not introduce another one in reassembling the guitar. Cheers and happy fretting. Jose in Boston. But then... Oh, then there's a follow-up. He sent a follow-up. Hello again, Eric and Melissa. I wrote earlier this week about being flummoxed at why the bridge pickup in my ES-335 had stopped working. I was right in my initial diagnosis. The ground wire on the middle lug of the switch had broken. Okay. And my repair was correct enough, scabbing on a new wire since the old one was too short to reconnect. And my hunch that in removing the wiring harness to make the repair and then stuffing the shit back inside the bottle created a new ground fault. Ah, so it did short. Mm -hmm. It was shorting something out. It just took a few days for me to figure out exactly what I had done. You know that ground wire that Gibson attaches to the braided lead uh, off the pickup inside the cavity that runs to the stop tail post? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm glad you do. I do. Uh, I had unwound it from the lead to make the removal of the harness easier. When I reconnected it, just rewrapping it like it had been done originally, I must have not done it so tightly enough, and that is what kept the bridge pickup from making any sound. That's not... A fact, Mike, or no, this is not Mike, Mike. this is Jose. Jose. So all that, that wire coming off of the post, all that's doing 
is grounding your bridge so that when you touch the strings, uh, it makes the guitar quieter, so there's less hum. But the guitar will still absolutely work in every switch position if that wire were just completely gone. So that wasn't the problem. I know you think it mm, was. Anyway, well, go ahead and keep reading. Uh, let's see. How do I know this was not the original problem? The broken wire on the switch and when I tested the switch, I got plenty of neck pickup sound from positions one and two and zilch from the third position. I just got lucky that after pulling the pickup and straightening the ground wire to rewrap it freshly, everything started to work again. Yeah. What you had was, uh, here's my official diagnosis. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. You had something just grounding out. Okay, Dr. Da. Thanks. Uh, I didn't have to check all the solder joints. I feared I had cracked in yanking and pulling the pots back into the body through the center block cutout. I'm sure there is some helpful adage there akin to measuring twice and cutting once, but I'll leave that to you. Mm -hmm. I'm just a nitwit. Oh, don't be so hard on <laughs> yourself, Jose. Thanks for the fret files, you two, and please reconsider keeping the pinup line going. Oh, it's going. It's going, baby. Come on. I mean, I'm not I'm not canceling it just yet. Not anytime soon. <clears throat> uh, I have Sarah, one of your earlier S-types, and she oh. has told me she needs more sisters. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. Jose in Boston. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. And he owns one of my he owns one of my guitars That's that I've awesome. made. I love it. That's awesome. I love it. Uh I think you had a ground problem in that guitar that here's the problem with that Gibson style braided wire. With any other kind of wire, the outside of the wire, so the wire is you think about a wire that's a foot long. Mm-hmm. Any other wire, like cloth insulated or plastic insulated, that wire can touch anything and nothing's going to happen. Right. With Gibson-style braided wire, mm -hmm. the outside of the wire is ground. And so if that comes in contact with a hot terminal on one of your pots or your jack or your switch, then guess what? No sound is coming out. So the braided... Is not like a cloth braid. It's like a metal braid. So there's there's an internal wire mm -hmm. with cloth around that. Mm -hmm. And then around that is braided metal uh, sleeve. Well, that seems... Do you know the wire I'm talking about? I think I do. I, I can... Do you want me to pull up a picture of it? No, I think I can picture it in my brain. So if it touches... <clears throat> If it touches a, a hot terminal of the switch or mm -hmm. a pot or a jack, then you get no sound. So um, it can be real problematic, especially on a guitar like that, where you're stuffing everything back in and working blind. Yeah. On a 335, there's no access cavity. Right. Everything comes out the pickup hole. You work on it, and then you put it back in. And guess what? That's easy to say, not so easy to do. Hmm. So, and then once you get it in there... The wires are all just, I mean, you can't position things. You can't even hardly see it. Yeah. So um, if you just have, and there's plenty of opportunity for this to happen in there, if you have one of the graded, one of the braided grounds touching a hot terminal, then you've got a short. Well, that seems like a poor design. Doesn't it? Do you ever wrap it in like electrical tape or something? Well, that's just Gibson for you. You ever, you, have I ever talked to you about their headstocks? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jose. Should we take a break? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
Hey guitar nerds! Visit MalcoLeather.com to check out a variety of made-to-order leather guitar straps, or you can email MalcoLeather at gmail.com for custom work. Every Malco guitar strap is designed and built by hand by me. Check out my Instagram at MalcoLeather to see examples of my past work, and as an added bonus, I offer free shipping in the U.S. for orders over $35. Visit MalcoLeather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Do you have any idea what I do with my time? Let me tell you. It's consumed entirely by building custom guitars, repairing and restoring guitars, making custom guitar pickups. I make a replica black guard uh, Bakelite pick guards. These are all available online. You can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. To see what's going on there, I've got a price chart. I've got, you know, pictures, examples of work. I've got a custom pickup order form. I would love to help you with your guitar repair or restoration or uh, just, you know, whatever you got in mind. Shoot me an email. Whatever. Give me a call. If you want to see the guitars I make, go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl. I always feel like I have to spell it. I probably don't. You uh, understand, I'm sure. Anyway, check it out, and uh, I'll see you there. Speaking of commercials, this isn't one. Actually, it is. I can't lie to you. But this episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you once again by Apex Coffee Roasters. We love this coffee. We drink it every day. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters they, they search the globe for the best coffee beans available. They roast them in-house, right there in Texas, to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Order Apex Coffee online, if you're a Fret Files listener, and you are. You can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off, and that's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. Check it out. It's good coffee. It really is. Life happens. Coffee helps. ApexCoffeeRoasters.com Cool. Thanks, Brett. Hey, Eric and Melissa. My name's not Brett. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Eric. Hey, Eric and Melissa. I have a question about string trees on T-style guitars. My apologies if this has already been discussed ad nauseum. I am the very proud owner of pinup number 58. That's an old one. Uh, and I just rec- and it just recently dawned on me that it's never had a string tree. After scouring the internet for pictures of treeless tele headstocks, I'm surprised to find that they're a bit of a rarity. I've never had any problems with the high E and B strings jumping out of the nut or sounding like a sitar, as so many forum posters claim is inevitable. In- inevitable. Mm-hmm. Is there something I'm missing here, or are string tre- trees generally unnecessary? I've noticed that many of your guitars do have them as well. How do you decide whether or not to put one on one of your guitars? I really enjoy listening to you both. Be well. Alex from Victoria, British Columbia. Thanks, Alex. You know, it's interesting. I went through a phase. I mean, you know, you you never think that someone would call you out on this, you know, eight years later <clears throat> or however long ago this was that yeah. I made that guitar. Uh, I went through a phase where I did not put 
string trees on them, and there's maybe 10 guitars like that. I don't know. And the reason why is because I went through a phase where I really liked to bend the high E and B strings behind the nut. And that string tree kind of makes that difficult. You just wanted to make it easier for all your customers. Well, I make these guitars basically how I want them to be, and then people buy them. Cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm really picky about my guitars, man. And 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 so, and that's why I make guitars. I started out by, you know, I'm playing other guitars, and I'm going, God, this could be better, and that could be better, and I can, well, I'm just going to make one. And I put together one out of parts, and, well, this is pretty good. I think I can do even better and made another one. And sold that, thinking, okay, I can do this again, and it's even going to be better. Now I'm on guitar number, you know, 180, or 185 or something. I don't know, I'd have to look. And each yeah. time I'm going, this one turned out great. The next one's going to be even better. Someday you'll keep one. Yeah, maybe. But that was, there was a period of time where... I didn't put string trees on them. And then for the longest time, there was an option on my website. If you ordered one, you could check a box that said, you know, leave the string tree off. Right. So um, there are telly players. It's a telly thing. There are telly players who that's the first thing they do when they get a new telly is take that string tree off because they think it makes... A, it makes the strings easier to bend when you go to do your, you know, Albert King riffs. Mm-hmm. Or BB King, or whatever. Pick your king, Freddie King. Uh, or bend the string behind the nut. You know, so you play the string, and then you, between the tuner and the nut, you depress the string, and it raises in pitch. Right. That's an old, like, Roy Buchanan or somebody trick. Yeah to get kind of a lap steel sound or a steel guitar sound out of that. Cool. And that's just a phase I was going through at the time. So you've got a guitar from that era. That's the Con- answer to your question. Congratulations, Alex. I mean, it's not a big deal, but <laughs> <clears throat> that's the deal. And he says, are string trees generally unnecessary? No, I mean, if as long as the nut slots are cut properly... You probably don't really need one on a Fender, but I like, I, I started putting them back on because I like that good break, break angle behind the nut. And a string tree helps push those strings down a little bit so that there's a steeper angle behind the nut. And I, I don't know. That's just where I'm at with it now. Cool. It's, it's an ever evolving process. Eric and Mel, thank you so much for investing the time and effort to create such an entertaining podcast. I have a tendency to binge listen, and my only request would be more episodes. That ain't happening, but thank you. It, well, actually, it is. One every two weeks. One every... It's just like a paycheck. Congratulations. Every first and 15th. <laughs> I discovered the podcast just before Christmas and binged the first 90 or so episodes while working on my first ever kit. My condolences. <clears throat> a super cheap Paulo, Paulo-ween? Polonia. Polonia, thank you. Polonia-bodied T-style. Isn't that the gal's name from uh, The Godfather? 
His his oh. wife in Italy when he goes over. The, no, it's Apollonia. Apollonia. Yeah, I get those confused. Okay. Polonia. Polonia. Is a uh, kind of wood. Yeah, there you and go. And Apollonia is a girl that got blown up in a car from, <laughs> from a movie. If you haven't seen The Godfather, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Uh, you saved my bacon a few times, and I was able to turn a very inexpensive kit into a real gig-ready player. Thank you so much for your unselfishness in sharing your knowledge with us amateurs. You're welcome. You know, the other day we had breakfast, and uh, Melissa didn't eat her bacon, and I put it in the fridge. <laughs> and later in the day, I said to her, hey, I saved your bacon. <laughs> and she was like, what? I said, no, I saved your bacon. It's in the fridge. It's in the fridge. I saved your bacon. And she didn't laugh at the time, but she's laughing now, which I appreciate. She wasn't in the mood that day for my for my nonsense. You guys don't know what it's like living with this man. She's liable to kill me any day. If the podcast just stops coming, you'll know. Call the cops because there's probably a knife in me. Uh, I've just begun my first from scratch body. One question I'd love some input on is about attaching a bolt-on neck with ferrules instead of a neck plate. I love a sculpted neck heel and really want this guitar to have great access all the way up the fretboard. It will have a semi-hollow swamp ash body with a center block and a mahogany mahogany neck. Mm -hmm. At this point, my tentative plan is to use threaded steel inserts, stainless steel screws, mm -hmm. and ferrules countersunk into the body to mount the neck. Your thoughts on sculpted body slash neck joints with ferrules versus big chunky fender style joints with a neck plate would be appreciated. Again, thanks, and I can't wait for the next episode. That's from Rod C. in Alabama. Rod, thanks for the question. You seem like such an awesome guy. You don't really want to hear my... You don't want to hear my opinion on... If you've binge listened, <clears throat> I'm sure he understands what you're about to do. <laughs> I think all of our regular listeners know you well enough... I don't enough like the ferals. ...to know I don't like that. sculpted... I don't like sculpted neck joints with ferals. It looks cheap to me. I get that it's more comfortable. I get that. I totally get that. But it looks like one of those... It looks like some cheap, like... Man, I wish I could remember the name of the. It may, you know, I used to, I used to get the guitar magazines when I was a, a small boy in the eighties, and uh, it was a bad time for to be a guitar aficionado because the magazines were awful. The music was even worse. I wanted Buddy Holly, and all I got was Motley Crue. So <clears throat> you get these guitar magazines, and they're full of the pointiest, purplest guitars you've ever seen in your life and it was just sad i wanted to see rickenbackers and fenders and this thing was fun anyhow sculpted shaped uh uh neck joints make me think of those guitars the, the guitars that i hated in my childhood like the i remember one in particular that had the cutaway the treble cutaway had a a scoop that would go, that went com completely in under the neck, like where the neck pickup would be. Mm -hmm. Like there's like there's a hole where the neck pickup should be. The scoop comes all the way in 
under the neck and back up and around. And it's just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. I mean, it's it's almost like a hinge. It looks the like... The thing probably had intonation problems because it's it's actually unstable. It looks like it would just break as soon yeah, as Yeah, I you... found I just found a picture of it. It's called the Alvarez Scoop. <laughs> I remember this guitar so well. Oh, I used to look at that in the 80s and I would just be angry. Just just imagine an angry 9-year-old boy. <laughs> like, what is this nonsense? Oh, you've been the same person your entire life. I'm afraid you? so. I know you've ex- you've been hoping for a change, but <clears throat> I'm afraid that it's uh, it's kind of <laughs> The mold has set. I'll post a picture of that guitar in the show notes. The Alvarez Scoop. Oh, my God. What a... Anyhow, uh, Rod, I'm sure your build will not look like that. Yours is going to be nice. If you, you know, if you want a sculpted body neck joint, don't let my opinion shape what you're going to do. Just shape your neck, how heel joint, you know, how you want. You'll be happy. You do you, Rod. I got to spend a few hours last night playing my year 2000 Taylor LKSM that you repaired and I picked up earlier this week. Oh, that's the Leo Kotke uh, Taylor that I did a, a neck reset on that mm-hmm. I was telling you about. Cool. Wow, what an improvement. You really brought this 20-year-old guitar back to life. It played okay before, as long as you stayed below the 5th fret. Now I can play up and down the neck, even above the 14th fret, and it is a joy to do so. This is like getting a new guitar, but with all the rich tones of the 20-year-old spruce top. And Hmm. a new guitar wouldn't have as good of a setup. Right on. The difference before and after is amazing. I just wanted to compliment you on your talent as a luthier. That's from Lee. Well, how nice is that? That's really awesome. I, I, I really saved that guy's bacon. Oh, yeah. It's in the fridge, Lee. Thanks. I appreciate it. I, I do. I appreciate the note. Melissa's mad. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and Melissa, hope you and the kids are enjoying the last days of summer. Quick question. Should I be worried about rust on the pole pieces of a pickup? That's from Bruce in Seattle. Bruce, it depends on the pickup. Um, some pickups, like a P90 or a Gibson-style humbucker or a, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, what else? That, you know, the pole pieces don't actually come in contact with the coil on a P90 or on a, on a Gibson-style humbucker. So you don't really have to worry about the rust. I mean, you can just clean it off if you want or don't. On a Fender-style pickup, the pole pieces uh, come in direct contact with the coil. And the only thing between the pole piece and the coil is a thin layer of lacquer and the rust can pretty easily eat through that and then get into the coil and kill the pickup. So if it's a Alnico single coil fender style pickup, then yeah, you know, keep an eye on the rust. And uh, the sad thing is that, you know, if it starts rusting down in where you can't get, there's really not a lot you can do about it. It's just a matter of time. The pickup's going to die eventually. But if it's a pickup with, you know, removable threaded steel pole pieces, then no problem. I mean, especially if they're threaded like a P90, you can unscrew them a little bit, clean them up, and then screw them back down. 
you'll be good to go. So it depends on the pickup. Thanks, Bruce. Any thoughts on Polonia? Is that how you say it? Did I say it Apollonia? Right? The girl from uh, yeah. The Godfather? <laughs> she got blown up. Uh, Jimmy Carter, fretboard journal, wildwood, fender, acoustics, and electrics? Is this just like some word jazz? <laughs> Is this just like stream of consciousness word jazz that I'm supposed to... <laughs> I'm supposed to now. <laughs> I, I don't understand the question. Can you start over? I don't know if that will help. I don't know if that will help. Why don't you? Why don't we try though? Here, you're you're busy laughing. Any thoughts on Polonia, Jimmy Carter, fretboard journal, Wildwood, Fender, acoustics and electrics. It sounds like you're not the only one looking into lightweight alternatives to ash. That's from Ben. No, it's true. There, you know, lightweight ash is getting harder and harder to find. I've been stocking up where and when I can. Don't tell people that. I'm not. They're, they'll be coming for your swamp I'm ash. I'm not telling anyone that. It's right next to my mountain of toilet paper <laughs> and N95 masks. Uh... And no. our stockpile of, of guns. Yeah, right. That's right. Which we will use if you <laughs> if you try to come take our swamp ash or our toilet paper. <clears throat> I'm defending that toilet paper with my life, people. It's an essential service. Uh, I don't have any thoughts on it because I've never used it in a build. My guess is that like pine, it's just probably too soft. The beautiful thing about ash is if you get lightweight swamp ash, it's still a hard wood. It's still a very hard wood, but it's just lightweight. It's, it, it's almost like it's full of air, you know, it's because it's uh, the really lightweight stuff, you know, it's very porous. Right, but it's still a very hard wood, so that's hard to replace because most woods that are light are too soft, really, to use for a guitar body like pine. And I know pine is kind of the new um, fad, and something tells me eventually that's what I'm going to be using, but um, hopefully, tempered pine, which I've heard a lot about, you mm -hmm. know. They they heat it. What's what's it called? Torrified, torrified pine. That might be the hot ticket because it does chemically change things, possibly making it harder. I don't know. We'll see. For now, I'm kind of I've kind of got my blinders on, and I'm just using the ash that I can get and trying to get as much of it as I can. Oh, I, I'm not going to tell you that. There's no problem here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Move along. Um, but no, eventually I'm going to have to probably use something else. I was wondering, and I asked uh, a few different um, suppliers who cut bodies on CNC uh, machines if they could do pine, but with ash veneer, front mm -hmm. and back, mm -hmm. front and back ash veneer. So it does. It won't ding easily because it's got that hard ash surface, right? Um, and it still has the nice ash grain. 
It does have nice ash. Has a nice ash. <laughs> <laughs> One day I was trying to sell guitars. You know, at Emerald City Guitars where I used to work in Seattle. Yeah. They would occasionally come back and say, Eric, we need your help. There's too many people in the store. Come talk to these nice folks. So I would go out, and I'm the world's worst salesman. I would be out there on the floor trying to sell a guitar, and there was this really nice couple looking at a telly. And uh, the woman, there's a couple, a man and a woman, they, the woman said, Eric, what kind of wood is this? And I said, well, this this is a, a really nice piece of ash. <laughs> and the husband started laughing uncontrollably, and the woman turned bright red. Now, there's really nothing inherently wrong with what I said, but I guess just my delivery and the way I said it uh, just so, evoked something else. So you're telling me that you're an ash man? Yeah. Okay. It's true. Thanks for the sh uh, thanks for the show. <laughs> this is the uh we've been uh this is it. That's it. Goodbye. Okay. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And uh thanks for participating. If you want to participate in the show, I don't know why you would after I've been such a jerk to all our all of our nice listeners today. But uh if you want to participate in the show, go to ericdaw.com. That's E R I C D A W. Click the contact link. Send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is, of course, to call or text 757-774-8482. That number is 757-774-8482. Thank you. I wanted to see Buddy Holly, and all I got was Motley Crue. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs>